Elizabeth Elliot, a young missionary from our neck of the woods. She was raised part of the, her life in New Jersey and part of her life in Pennsylvania. She felt called by God to be a missionary overseas in eastern Ecuador. So that's what she did. She packed up and she moved there and lived with them. She educated them and served them in any way they needed, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. What is remarkable about Elizabeth's service, the people she served is the same tribe that earlier killed a group of her fellow missionaries, including her husband. Are you called to missionary service overseas? I don't know. It's possible. But I do know that God has called all of us to serve. And he has gifted us uniquely to serve our neighbors inside and outside the church according to our ability. Service to others is an essential component of what it means to be Christian. Service is promoted in scripture and listed as a key spiritual discipline because service demonstrates love for God and love for neighbor. When Jesus said to love each other, he means in no insignificant part that we should serve each other. There is a close relationship between love and service. Service necessarily follows a profession of love. This is true in a marriage, it's true in the family unit, and it's true here among our church family. Husband and wives know you can't just mouth words of love. You need to back those words up and serve each other. And this is true here among our spiritual family. Love and service are intertwined. Jack Hiles, the fine Baptist preacher from the 50s, says, and I quote, Love is the doorway through which the human soul passes from selfishness to service. Love and service go hand in hand. When Jesus said that we should love each other, he means that we should serve each other. From our text this morning that Mary read so beautifully in Luke, this parable, I would like to look a bit closer to love and service by answering the question, who is my neighbor? So who is my neighbor? In this text, Jesus is in a discussion with a religious leader. 
and he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? The answer to the question comes after Jesus tells him the parable, and it is found in verse 37 of our text. It reads, the one who had mercy on him. That's the neighbor. But this seems a bit odd. This answer did not address the original question because Jesus altered the question. The religious man asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus asked him, who was a neighbor to the man? You see the difference? In changing the question, Jesus is saying to the religious man that the question, who is your neighbor, is not as important as the question to whom you are a neighbor. And Jesus is saying to us, the focus should not be on what qualifies others to be our neighbor, but the focus should be on our internal and external actions. Jesus shifted the burden of proof back on us. So Jesus challenged the religious man's assumption. No, no, no. Your assumption is founded on a narrow view of the term neighbor, which says you should love those who love you. You should love those who are good to you. This is such common sense that you should love those who love you. But at this point in Jesus' ministry, he began to challenge this old way of thinking. In the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, he said, you have heard that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. He's beginning to shift the idea of neighbor. In other words, yes, of course, you should love those who love you. You should love those who are good to you. Again, this is so much common sense that my granddaughter would say, love those who love you, love those who are good to you. Duh, grandma, duh. Yes, we should love those who love us and we should serve them, but we can't stop there. Our love and service should extend to include even those who do not love and serve us. It should extend to include those who have nothing to give us. Our love and service should extend to include those who seem just beaten up by life, those with the big problems. Our love and service should even extend to include those who are not in our circle of friends. When Jesus said to love each other, he means in no insignificant part that we should love and serve everyone. 
So in the religious man's old way of thinking about neighbor, he wanted to know who's in and who's out, who's easy to serve and who's challenging. Sometimes we feel similarly, but Jesus is saying to us, focus on loving and serving everyone according to our ability. Now I know that this is easier said than done. Like the priest and the Levite, we would rather serve those with the lighter burdens, right? the easier things to handle. We would rather run away from those with the difficult life situations. But Jesus is calling us to do all of it. The big stuff, the little stuff, and everything else in between according to our ability. Yes, he's calling us to bear one another's burdens regardless of the weight of those burdens. Remembering, of course, that whatever he calls us to do, he will equip us to accomplish them. Jesus knows that we cannot love and serve in the way he has called us to love and serve in our own strength, naturally. But supernaturally, because genuine love and service requires the daily inner work, the internal work of the Holy Spirit, transforming our hearts and minds and making us more like Jesus. Now, this is not to say that the question posed by the religious man is invalid because definitions do matter. Plus, Jesus did not ignore that question. He switched it around, but he didn't ignore the man's question. Who is my neighbor? The answer to that question is found in the parable. It is demonstrated by the Samaritan's loving service to the man who needed help. He knew the man needed help, he had the resources to help him, so he helped him. That's the answer to the question. Dr. Haddon Robinson, the great theologian and expository preacher and teacher of homiletics, defines neighbor in this way. Listen closely. Anyone whose need you see, whose need you are in a position to meet, is your neighbor. Isn't that what the Samaritan did? So if I'm aware of someone's need and I have the resources to help, that person is my neighbor. If you are aware of someone with a need and you have the resources to help, that person is your neighbor. Anyone whose need you see, whose need you are in a position to meet, is your neighbor. 
Now, there's one other aspect of this concept of neighbor that I want to address this morning. The victim in the parable is implicitly a Jew. This information helps to put Jesus' parable in clearer light because the priest and the Levite, both, both of whom were Jews, ignored the cries for help from a spiritual brother. You know, I have often heard this part of the parable interpreted as shame, shame on you religious leaders, you ignored to serve one of your own. Shame, shame on you. But as I examined the text closely, I felt my old frustrations for the priest and the Levite rising again. But then the Holy Spirit reminded me, nothing that Jesus says or does is accidental. Jesus didn't have to disclose that the traveler was walking along a stretch of road from Jerusalem to Jericho. But he did, and it's not accidental. This stretch of road is mountainous, it's rugged, it's dangerous, and notorious for crime. It is very risky walking on this stretch of road. So I tried to put myself in the position, in the shoes, as they say, of the priest and the Levite. And I asked myself, if you were there, what would you have done? And church, I froze. I didn't have an answer. Then the, the thought came to me, the religious leaders are so important in their community. People are depending on them, their family, friends, temple members, plus numerous functions. If, if they're harmed, the functions of the temple may not go off as they should. Which is a, a, a legitimate concern that they might have had. Similarly, we may have good reason to decline when called to help in big, scary, time-consuming ways. But the point is, Jesus did not use the two religious characters in his parable to shame us into service. Rather, he wants to stretch us emotionally and spiritually. The text says, the Samaritan took pity on him. That's the first thing. And then he did acts of service. This is suggestive of some kind of internal work in the Samaritan before any acts of service to the man who fell to the robbers. So yes, Jesus wants our acts of service, but chiefly he wants us he wants you and he wants me. He wants us to serve from a heart of love for him first. Jack Hiles accurately points out that I cannot love you the way I ought until I love God the way I ought to love him. Jesus desires 
that we grow in love for him and relationship with him and from there acts of service will flow however this was a missed opportunity because like i said earlier this is how we acts of service is how we demonstrate love to one another so the priest and the levite missed an opportunity to demonstrate love for god and love for neighbor by serving a spiritual brother and i think this is significant because as it pertains to the church jesus made love and service a mark of a christian disciple by this he says everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another and we know love and service go together jesus made love and service the identifying mark of his followers because it attracts non-believers to him but he also knows that we need each other we are a family preparing to live in community with each other for eternity we are a family and as with any family periodically we have issues but that's not new since the church's founding it's been on rough waters it's been tough tough sailing for over 2000 years but jesus is the captain of this ship he is the head of the church so we can weather any storm turmoil and conflict in our ranks are not new they're unpleasant but not new it's the reality in our fallen sinful condition so jesus exhorts us to love and serve each other because he knows that we need each other all the time but especially in seasons of anxiousness and turmoil indeed we need each other so in the parable jesus is calling us to love each other with the wisdom and compassion of the good samaritan remembering that we cannot do this work in our own strength we can only love out of the abundance of love we've received from god who is love personified jesus says love one another as i have loved you the question becomes how has jesus loved you how has jesus loved me in one word selflessly jesus went to the cross and suffered vicariously because he did nothing wrong he was perfect and sinless but he suffered vicariously he suffered for you and for me in a way this is the selfless love that elizabeth elliot 
demonstrated towards her Ecuadorian neighbors. She lovingly served them, though she had good reason not to. This is the selfless love that Samaritan demonstrated to his Jewish neighbor. Jews and Samaritans were sworn enemies, but he loved and served him, even though he had good reason not to. This is the selfless love that God has demonstrated towards his human neighbors, in that while we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died to save us. Jesus lovingly served us, even though he had good reason not to. When Jesus said that we should love each other, he means in no insignificant part that we should serve each other. He means that we should love and serve anyone with a need that we are aware of and have the resources to address. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for loving us. In so many ways, the Good Samaritan reflects who you are. You've set the example of love and service that we should follow. So thank you for calling us into your service. Give us the right heart condition for service. And may all we do bring glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.